Welcome back to MWO Sports. Ryan Drury here. I will be joined, as always, by Clarky and Steve Saverin. Two great guests on the show today. We will talk with our golf expert, Ian Doig, of Ian Doig Golf Academy, about the opening rounds of the Masters, how Corey Connors looked, local listable boy, and, of course, talk about Tiger Woods. We'll also be joined by our friend Scott Bridge, who recently golfed with one Mr. Clark, to tell us about his round and his thoughts on the Masters as well. We'll also be joined by Godrich native and pro baseball pitcher Brock Dykeshorn to talk about his championship over in Taiwan with the Uni President Lions. And at the end, we'll be joined, as always, by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you as always by CoolBet.co, Ryan Drury, Clarkie, and Steve Saverin here, and we welcome on our resident golf expert, Ian Doig of Ian Doig Golf. Doig, how are you, man? Masters time. It's exciting. I am good, Ryan, and guys, it's, uh, yeah, very exciting. Kind of crazy, though, that uh, typically when the Master rolls around, we're excited about the golf season starting, hoping it's going to warm up, and now we're getting ready to close all the golf courses because it's going to get cold. Yeah, it's, it's super bizarre, but I mean, I know everybody's really excited that the Masters is going ahead. Uh, interesting opening day. I mean, Tiger looked actually pretty good. Uh, he looked pretty confident. Uh, our boy Corey Connors, of course, had a bit of a tough opening day, tied for 72nd. Um, just your impressions on the opening round, what Tiger was doing, some of the things Connors was doing, maybe some of the holes that got away from Corey a little bit as well. Yeah, you know what, um, as much as I was able to watch, uh, Tiger's golf swing looked absolutely beautiful. He was in good tempo, good balance. Uh, looked like he was having a lot of fun out there, too. He was smiling all the time. And, uh, you know, very clean card, four birdies, 14 pars, and uh, I think he hit pretty close to 80% of the greens in regulation. So very, very solid out of him. Yeah, Corey struggled a little bit. Uh I think, uh, you know, with it just being, what, his second or third uh, Masters, he's uh, not having the patrons there. It's really funny watching the holes. Not The lines off the tee shots would change. They're, your perception of them would change because you're, you don't have any spectators there. So all of a sudden the holes look wider than they really are because the people aren't lining the fairways two and three and four deep. And so I think perceptually for guys that haven't been there a lot that can change a little bit so i'm not sure if that was a, an effect with Corey or not but you look at tiger tigers played there many times in the fall you know with no spectators and everything and he drove the golf ball impeccably today do you think ian that no spectators would make it uh it, it would look wider than it actually is and which might hurt some guys perceptually when they're looking down the fairway thinking oh there's a lot of room but there really isn't yeah, exactly. That's yeah, exactly okay. kind of what I'm getting at because yeah. you, you step up on the first fairway and you don't see anybody lining that left side, right? And all okay. of a sudden, it, it it looks more expansive. Okay. And so, if you don't have your your notes or your 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 uh, focus on saying, okay, this is the tree that I'm trying to hit it at or cut it off of. You know, you can get a little wild a little bit. And, you know, I saw that with Bryson a few times today. You know, he got it in the trees quite a few times. So so the leader after one day is Paul Casey. What did he do today to make a, a seven under, which is pretty good? 
Uh, again, a very, very clean uh, round of golf. Uh, Paul's a very, very good player. What I was really surprised at was uh, the length that he's hitting it. Um, he's always been a great ball striker. He's been in contention here on a few occasions. Um, real good guy, real calm guy. And, uh, you know, just looked like he was uh, really enjoying himself out there today. Uh, you know, Ian, you joked about, um, you know, this is a time of year where golf courses start to close down. <clears throat> Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the ratings are for this Masters because it is end of season. People might not be going out. And realistically, it's the only big, besides an NFL game on Sunday, it's the really only big sporting event on TV. Yeah, I, I have to believe that every golfer out there, if they're any, even a remote interest in the game, they're going to be parked in front of the TV this weekend. I mean, it's a bizarre situation all all the way around, as we know. And and you know, no golf going on. It's going to be too cold here now, and especially out west in Canada, it's already been too cold. They got snow on the ground, so those people are going to be sitting at home. They're going to have a fireplace going, a glass of red wine in their hand, and they're going to be watching the Masters, kind of like I'm going to be doing. Yeah, that <laughs> sounded like a very personal description there, Doigie. Yeah, uh, I, I like the sound of that, um, Doigie. You've played Augusta now. What is it about the course that's, I don't know, you know, so mysterious about it? There's a mystique to Augusta. What, what in your opinion, even if it's like a couple of the holes that stand out, what in your opinion is the most difficult aspect of the course? Well, the golf course has changed a lot over the years, and I haven't played it in a very long time. It was 1984. Um, I was able to play it uh, right after Crenshaw won. Um, on the Monday after the tournament, typically the uh, back then it was the executives and the bigwigs of the magazines and sports, uh, CBS, were invited to play, and I was uh, able to finagle my way out there. So I got to play it on the Monday after the tournament. It's much, much longer now than it was back then. I've been back a few times as a spectator to, to watch some of my buddies play. Uh, the golf course, the biggest thing that people don't understand is the change in elevation, the undulations to the mm -hmm. golf course. From the 10th tee down to the fairway is close to 100 feet in drop. And so once you get down there and then 11 goes down even further, you have to work your way back up. And the 18th hole, very, very uphill shot the second shot into the green and you can't see the bottom of the, uh, the green at all or the bottom of the flag stick. So visually it's an intimidating golf course from that perspective, because you have a lot of uphill golf shots into the greens. Doigie, uh, when Tiger was ripping that course apart back, I guess, I don't know what's early two thousands, maybe I'm not yeah, sure. 90s, but, but late 90s, so I heard that they tried to, uh, make it so it didn't give guys who could pound the ball so far an advantage. Um, and maybe a guy like Mike Weir, who doesn't pound the ball very far, took advantage of that and was able to win the tournament uh, back in 2003, I think it was. What would they have done? Like, Was it as simple as moving the tee blocks back, or did they do other things to make it a tougher course for those longer hitters? No. Well, one of the things they did, they moved a lot of the tee blocks back. Uh, mm -hmm. A perfect example is number 11. Big changes on number 11. The tee deck now is some 50 to 60 yards further back than it was when I played. Um, and not only that, down the right-hand side, there is a few, roughly 100 trees that were planted. You used to be able to block it out down the right-hand side. You'd be in the patrons. 
but you know they'd move them out and you'd have a pretty clear shot to the green guys would actually sometimes hit it down that right side on purpose so they they planted trees in many spots and they grew rough so in 1984 there was no such thing as rough at augusta the rough came in afterwards the rough came in around the late 90s so there was one cut it was from tree line to tree line it was the same length as of grass and now they have rough, so that didn't have, was never there before. So you just absolutely bombed it. And Tiger hit it so far when he first came out, and the golf course would play hard and fast or firm. You know, he was going into the fifteenth hole, the par five, with eight irons. That's crazy. Right? Try yeah. kind of what Bryson's trying to do now. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, a couple of the drives that Bryson hit today, the one he hit on nine was just absolutely insane. He was down there with a little wedge in, you know. I mean, yeah. there's guys that are coming in. Uh, like Larry Mize would be coming into that green with a probably a five or a six iron off the downslope, which makes it a much, much more difficult golf shot. Uh, go ahead, just, Clark. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, golf, in my mind, is one of those sports where it's not – like, for, for an uh, average Joe um, – you can buy a better game. You can go and buy the best equipment and the best balls out there, and it will help your game. I could buy all the best hockey equipment in the world. It's not going to make me any better. It's really. not? But, no, it's not. <laughs> but like a, like a golf, like you have really good clubs and you have really good golf balls. You can buy a better game. You can. Yeah, but you still have to know how to use that technology. Absolutely. No, for yeah, sure. You but do. You can. You do. Clarky. Come and see, get some lessons. We'll fix you. Yeah. Hey, hey, I played pretty darn good on the weekend. Like I good. played listable golf course, Drury. Okay. okay. Why and I played pretty good because you were ripping me last week saying I wouldn't be able to play that well. No, that's not exactly what I said. I just what said it say? wouldn't. I said it wouldn't be a surprise if you struggled. So I played with Scott Bridge. He's a good golfer, right? You know Scott. Yeah, Bridge. He's and, a good golfer. And I played with uh, Josh Keel. He's okay. a pretty good golfer too. Yep. Well, guys, I just want to bring Scott Bridge on here because I want Scott to really tell us how I played. Oh we my played, god! We played like little three uh, game. There's Bridgie now. Hey guys. Scott, how are you? Hey, uh, Scott. There's some familiar faces. Yeah. I don't know if you know. Hey, hold, hold on, hold on here. You're actually bringing in an outside analyst, our buddy Scott yeah. Bridge, yeah. to defend yeah. your golf game to the listeners. Bridgie, tell them how I played Saturday. Good. Uh, right from the get-go. Honestly, Ryan, right uh, right from his first tee-off uh, on the okay. field. And I'm surprised you, draw, you drove that good with that ancient driver of yours. It is cool <laughs> driver. Please, please tell me he's not still using that red-headed Wilson driver, is he? <laughs> he is. Look, yeah, I can hit it. I can hit it 280 straight. Why would I want something better? Clark, you come down to my come down to my garage. I've got a few laying out there you can have that are from the two thousands. Handed, I'm left handed. Well, we'll just we'll fix you. We'll, okay, we I would love I would love that. But listen, we played little. What 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 would we even call what we played there? Where we teamed up with a guy for six holes, right? Three times. That's right. right? So every six holes, we would change partners. Yeah. One of us was three and zero. Oh, the other three were one and two. Yep. Yes, Drury. Yeah. Three and old Clark right here. Undefeated. Undefeated. So, this so Ryan, like, what I'm getting from this is he wants to take you out to play right now because he's hot. He okay. wants to get into your pocket. Shot an 85. I hadn't played since May, honestly. And oh, I shot very 85. good that. 
that's pretty that's good. pretty good clarky and i mean yeah. i i don't know why i'm chirping you i can't play golf i can't even play the sport if i if i went to the list of a golf course tomorrow i would shoot 200 jury no problem i'd shoot how did you ask bridgie what his first tee was like Brid okay, yeah, tell us all about it, Bridgie. Let's talk about our guest here, Bridgie. What was your game like? I know you were excited about it. Yeah, uh, the first tee-off was something I had not done all summer long. Uh, teed right up there, uh, felt pretty confident over the ball, and uh, just whiffed. Just, it went about, what, 10 yards maybe? maybe. Just, just with Topped it. I need to take some lessons from uh, yeah. Mr. Doig yeah. here, see if he can but, help but me. That's uh, now, as bad as that sounds, Drury, yeah, that was the worst. What was your next shot? Yeah, it, uh, it wasn't much better. Oh no, Bridgie, it was, no, it was not much better. It was um, gonna go pretty far, except for the big bush. He tried to hit it over. It went yeah. right in it. Oh. Shouldn't, shouldn't have got cute uh, on the second shot, and ended up paying for that one too as well. It was it was not a good start to to the round, but as See, as, so as, now I have to ask the question, Bridgie. What'd you shoot? I ended up with a, with a ninety four, which uh, leading up to that we were in between eighty and eighty five, eighty six. Leading up to that, took a few weeks off and and then um, did not play well with Mister Clark. Could not put on a good show for him. You played well when we I was your partner. You played all right for that stretch. Oh, my God. Yeah. You, you did. You just gave me a lot of confidence. That's all yeah. I can say. There you go. Funny. So, anyway. Yeah. Hey, uh, did you watch Corey today? What did you think of his game, Scott? I watched uh, some of the Masters this morning before it got rained out. Unfortunately, yeah. I had to hit the road for the day when, when the horn went around 745 or so. But I was following... Uh, on my phone most of the day plus two uh yes i think he, he you know if he gets hot tomorrow i think that he can he can put up a number but obviously the greens were soft today guys could go after pin placements uh where they normally couldn't um but there was some low scores out there today well bridgie i feel yeah, bad I think, for you because I, I anytime think it's a Go ahead, Go ahead. Sorry, right. I, I actually was just going to say, I think it's a, a record. Now, not everybody finished 18 holes, but as of right now, the way it stands, it's a record amount of red numbers in the first wow. round. Wow. There's 50, 50 players exactly at one under or better, and they're wow. cutting to 50 and ties. And this year, well, for the first time ever, the 10 shot rule is not in effect. That's right. So that, and that, that, that rain this morning softened things up, I guess, too, right? So. Yeah, very much. And anytime you get a soft golf course, the best players yeah. in the world are going to eat it up because they, yeah. they're uh, the best players in the world are so good at controlling the distance that they hit the ball on a soft golf course. They just fly it to where it's going to stop, and and that's why a firm, fast golf course plays much more difficult. Absolutely. Bridgie, I was just going to say I feel bad for you because if, if Clarky achieves anything in sport and you're a witness to it, he'll never let you hear the end of it. I'm thinking of our friends Sean and Katie Cottrell, the curling Oh, that's team. true. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. So Did I mention you that will before? hear... You will hear, yeah, you mentioned it, bud. You, you will hear about that three and and0 round of golf for the rest of your life uh, when you're around Clarky. Uh, Sabby sitting there thinking about his squash game the last three days. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, okay. Pretty. Yeah. 
We won't Star go there. Athlete. Yeah, I have a we, torn meniscus, and I've been beating them anyway. Actually, Stevie's sitting there pretty quiet right now. He hasn't said too <laughs> no, much. I'm just enjoying the fireworks. That's yeah, all. <laughs> he he has plenty to say. He just can't say it on the air. I'm um, just I'm just worried for in our next hockey broadcast if we ever get, ever get back to the rink and Clarky's doing color, he might pop something in. Well, you, you know, remember that game I had uh, back in the back in the fall. Unbelievable. I'm so Bridgie. humble. That's all. Yeah, you're the humblest guy I know, bud. Uh, <laughs> Bridgie, before we let you go, um, just real quick, if if you were to lay some money down, uh, who's your favorite to win the tournament this year based on what you've seen in day one? Who would you be putting some money down on? I don't really have one favorite, guys, to be honest with you. It, it comes down to three. Um, okay. And, and I lay them out in different age categories, too, as well. Uh, we'll start from the bottom. Matt Wolf, uh, as a young stud, looking good so far. He's only played, um, what did he do? only play nine or ten holes today and um, shooting well. Uh, so I've, I've got him as kind of the young stud that's going to pull through, I believe. I mean, just like what Justin Thomas did at such a young age and Jordan Spieth as well. I think that he's got the confidence and he's got uh, the confidence just oozing out of him. So Steve's used me or, or Steve's heard me use that one on the hockey broadcast before, but that's what Matthew Wolf's got going on right now in the middle. I think uh, for that age group, Dustin Johnson is one that I would definitely uh, put, put some money on. He's, you know, comes in as the world number one, even though he's only got two uh, top three finishes as world number one. I think he's, he's got a good shot. And uh, obviously, as the old guys, uh, you, you've got to go with Tiger Woods. He knows the golf course. He's confident with it. He knows where to place the golf ball. He's uh, seems like he's got everything working right now, and he just loves Augusta. Just loves the course. So, um, I think when you when you're you can't bet against Tiger at this point. It's just can he stay loosey goosey uh, for all four days? Yeah, that's the question. If uh, if his game starts going sideways into the weekend and we see him start grabbing the glutes, we know that he's in trouble. So <laughs> it seems I'm, I'm if he's little... shooting well, he's not grabbing the glutes. But the second one shanks to the left. He's grabbing his back for sure. That's too funny, Ryan. I'm a little concerned. You guys may have found a new golf analyst here. No, wow. <laughs> no, he did on. a pretty good job there. I thought that was impressive. He, well, Scott Bridge is one of the best analysts of all sports in this area, so I'm not surprised that he can break down golf. So maybe this will have to be a regular thing. We'll have to bring both of you on to break down the tournaments. What, what we don't know is that Ian just emailed him some information and Scott pulled it open on his <laughs> Yeah, Bridgie, Bridgie also didn't show us the crisp $100 bill that Chris Clark gave him on the golf course to pump Yeah, that's, that's the problem. We never put money on it. I came away with nothing. So I don't uh, know. You know, it's funny we talk about Tiger, um, and it just seems throughout his entire career, you know he's in the zone when he stays close for the first two to three rounds, and then on the last day he just intimidates everybody and rockets by them. Like, how many times does Tiger just sit in the grass through most of the tournament? Like, he's just teetering near the top, and then all of a sudden he just flies by everybody. So what a story that would be if he wins a – another jacket back to back. Yeah. You know, you know who else used to do that guy named Jack Nicholas. I yeah, actually had, pretty okay. had the conversation with him one time and he said, you know what? I will play very conservatively and let everybody else make the mistakes. 
and then I can slide in at the back end. And he did that on many, many occasions. Here's a little number thing for you, though. When Jack won his sixth Masters, he won it 23 years after he won his first one. He was ranked 33rd in the world. Tiger's ranked 33rd in the world. It's 23 years after he won his first one, and he's going for a sixth. Not bad. I I like that. So that Doigie hit us with some unbelievable numbers just there. I've decided I'm laying my money down on Tiger. You've convinced me, Doigie. Absolutely. My, my only concern, and I had my wife and I do a pool every year for every major. The loser has to buy a really nice dinner. Oh. And I had Tiger on my team until about midnight last night, and I pulled him off. No. And put, I did, and I put Patrick Cantley in. And the reason I did that, and it is a concern for me, is with all the rain, I knew there was going to be delays. And so Tiger's going to have to play more than 18 holes tomorrow. Mm. And he's going to be tired. It's going to be a hard walk on him. And a wet, wet golf course it takes more out of you. Mm. And at 43 years old with a wonky back, that is a concern for me with Tiger. I walked 18 last Saturday at 54. <laughs> oh, my God. Clark, Clarky just loves the to first compare time himself to Tiger. We'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, we will chat with Goddard's native Brock Dykeshorn, who just won a baseball championship over in Taiwan. Very excited to talk to Brock, a local boy, a local pitcher. That's coming up next here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. <laughs> Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury, Clarkie, and Steve Saverin still here with you, and we're joined by another great special guest, uh, local boy, Goddard's native Brock Dykeshorn, is back in the country after helping a Taiwanese baseball team win the championship. Uh, Brock, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, we're glad you were able to get back home in uh, in one piece during these COVID times. I mean, first of all, congratulations. You were unbelievable in the final uh, you were named the outstanding player in the series. I mean, just tell us a, a little bit about what it was like to help the uni president lions win the championship and to perform so well. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, it's, it's been a wild year for myself along with, I know a lot of people have had a, a crazy 2020, but um, just from where my year started, I, I was a free agent going into last off season and didn't, uh, didn't have too many offers in the off season, had talked to a lot of teams, but didn't have a lot of actual contracts. Um, so I went through until June without a contract, without a deal to play anywhere. Um, once major league baseball shut down their minor leagues, that really put a halt to a lot of things. Um, then, yeah, I was lucky enough to go over to Taiwan and to turn their season around and, and then eventually win the championship. It was, it was awesome. The, uh, the baseball, there's a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, it was just, it's the first time I won the Pan Am games with team Canada in 2015, but. Other than that, I've never won anything um, baseball. I've always made the playoffs, but this is the first time that I've actually won. So that was uh, it was a pretty neat experience. Brock, how were you? Uh, how did you get the gig over there? How like were you scouted? Is it uh, is it common uh, that Canadians get to go over there? How did it all work out? Um, so I think with me playing in Korea last year, I think that was kind of my in there. They had seen me pitch there um, and kind of knew a little bit about me. So. Um, once I didn't get the chance to go back to Korea this year, I think that kind of opened the door over there. Um, but then to start the year, they had enough guys. There's only four teams in that league. So, um, and each team's only allowed three foreigners. So there's very limited spots. Um, but then in June, one of the teams decided, or uni decided to switch actually all three of their foreign players 
Um, and that's where I got the opportunity to get in. So, um, but they knew about me through Korea, um, and then through an Asian agent that I use there. He he kind of knew of me from there. So, compare the two, Korea and and Japan. Um, there's a lot of very sim similar things, and there's a lot of differences. Um, the level of play, it all depends on what what day you show up, kind of thing. There's that's the biggest thing I noticed with both Korea and Taiwan um, compared to the states. The states has a lot of uh, a lot of depth. There's your major league team, and you've got seven or eight minor league teams below it, and there's a lot of really, really good players. Um, whereas I found Korea and uh, Taiwan, there's certain days you'll show up and if teams have their best guy throwing and their best players starting nine, it's it's a triple A to a big league game at times. And then you'll show up the next night and they'll have an 18-year-old rookie pitching with some backup guys behind them. And it's like, man, this is like a college game, right? Like the, the depth mm. just isn't quite there like it is in wow. the States. So. Um, it, it really depends on what night of the week you show up and who's playing. Um, that really dictates how how clean the game is going to be. It's always entertaining. Even when it's not a good game, it's kind of organized chaos, so it's still fun, but um, maybe not the cleanest of games. Sometimes uh, it's, it's the unknown that uh, either helps or hinders you. Uh, Brock, and I don't know if uh, Adam can pull up the video for us right now, but we found a little clip of this that uh, might bring uh, some memories back, but uh, this was taken from game seven um, of uh, your relief appearance. You had, Now you had started game one and you started game five, correct? No decision. Um, going into the save situation, completely different mentality. What was your thought process going in there? Um, I, I just wanted to get in and get the first guy out. That was my biggest thing. Um, a lot of those late inning innings, it's all momentum. If you can get the first guy out, um, you have a really good chance of being successful. So as a starting pitcher, you kind of have a little bit of wiggle room, some time. If you don't get the first couple guys out, you can still work your way through. But those late innings, those first first pitch, first out are really crucial. So um, in the eighth inning, I was lucky to come in and get the, the, uh, the first guy out. The ninth inning, I gave up a leadoff double, which didn't go exactly to plan, but I was able to get out of that one. So just really trying to focus right from pitch one. Brock, in this clip as well, I mean, uh, you you pitched so well. Obviously, Steve mentioned you pitch in game one and five. I mean, game five, you were dominant, dominant, a shutout. And then you come in for the save opportunity. You threw a slider that would make Clayton Kershaw blush. Like, you threw a slider that was so gross. I mean, is that kind of your go-to pitch to kind of fool guys? What are Do you have, like, one or two pitches that you really lean on? What's kind of in your repertoire? Yeah, I, I go to my slider a lot. It's been, um, over the years, it's definitely been my most consistent off-speed pitch. Um, some other pitches have kind of come and gone as time's gone on, but that's definitely been one that I've had for a long time. Um, so I've, with that, I've been able to get really comfortable with it. I can throw it when I'm behind in counts to get strikes. I can throw it ahead to strike guys out. So it's definitely a go-to. Um, and then I've always had a big 12-6 curveball as well. Um, I generally use that more early in the count just to kind of keep hitters off balance, but I don't always get a lot of swing and misses on it, so I don't usually throw with two strikes for strikeouts. Um, it's more early in the count, maybe steal a strike or uh, get a, a strike taken for a, a looking strike. Um, and then I, this year I developed a splitter. Um, I've, I've always had a change up in the last year, year and a half. It's kind of escaped me. Um, so I've had to kind of adjust and move over to a splitter, which uh, I'm usually kind of a command-type pitcher, and a splitter is not a command pitch. It's kind of a, a grip-and-rip pitch, so... The transition for me was more mental than anything. It took a long time to get that splitter, uh, but now that I've found it, it it's really been an effective pitch to complement the other three. 
Yeah, you really have to have confidence in your catcher with that splitter, right? Because if yeah. you're down low on the dirt, you want to make sure your catcher's blocking it. For sure. And I, and I come from such a high arm slot that, uh, like, my splitter really has a lot of depth to it. So it, it comes in and just dives right off the table, um, which, like you said, it's it's great for trying to get a hitter out, but it can be really tricky on catchers, and especially with two strikes if the ball gets past them. Um, obviously, he's getting to first. So, yeah, you have to have a lot of, a lot of uh, trust in your catcher. Is there any communication issues over there with with a language barrier or anything, or is it pretty good? Um, so we get translators. So anything that's okay. really important, any meetings, team meetings, stuff with the coaches, that's all through a translator. So there's no problems okay. there. Yeah. Um, it's more kind of the uh, – I'd say the biggest adjustment is just trying to be teammates, right? You're trying to develop mm-hmm. relationships, trying to build that camaraderie and have some fun, and that can be tricky at times because, yeah, like your translator's not with you 24-7. So sure. Um, just trying to build those relationships can be a little tricky. Um, but I think the biggest thing with going over there is just showing effort, um, whether it's in trying to learn their language or teaching those guys English. Um, mm-hmm. If you just show effort, that seems to go a long way with those guys. And uh, and they immediately like you if you're willing to show that effort. If you show up and kind of just do your own thing and don't worry about them, I think you can kind of push them off a little bit. But I've, I've done my best to try to, uh, try to still maintain – friendships and kind of teammate qualities even with that uh, language barrier did you, did, did, sorry steve did you enjoy the country and and how how are they coping with covid over there i loved it over there it's uh it's really hot it's a very tropical area mm-hmm. um which i wasn't completely expecting mm-hmm. um, but it is very hot um for most of most of the summer even when i left it was november 9th 8th and it was still 25 degrees in the middle of the day so like it's hot and humid in the summer. I mean, you're kicking around 36 to 40 pretty much every day. Wow. Um, so that, that was definitely a challenge, but other than that, it was a beautiful country. Um, I've noticed with there and Korea, they're very small countries, but there's so many people that they have such a strong culture. Um, if you live there, like if you live in Taiwan, you're from Taiwan, there's not a lot of multiculturalism, not a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. other, other countries, people moving in there. So, which makes it kind of neat to visit because it's so strong and um, everything they do, everybody does it. So it's mm. um, even, th- it makes their food so much better too. Cause it's just been the same thing for years and years. They get so good at it. Mm. Um, but I really, I really like that the cultural part of it and, and trying to, trying to experience that along with the baseball. And COVID, well, how are they handling the COVID? Like is COVID's it masks been everywhere? Or? It's been almost, I'm not going to say a non-issue there, but it's been very mm. limited. I think they've reported only like 500 cases in the nine months, um, and they've had like 10 deaths. So it's, wow. uh, they, they do have some precautions in place, but it's basically just public transportation, like trains, taxis, buses. You have to wear masks. Mm. Um, a, a few times, certain cities like malls and restaurants, you'd have to wear masks. Um, but other than that, no. I mean, to start the year before I got there, they had they started with no fans for a couple of weeks. And then they quickly moved to 50% capacity. Mm. Um, by the time I got there, it was 75% capacity. And within a month, so probably start of August, um, they were to full capacity. So even if you watch the videos from the Taiwan series, I mean, the place is, it's as packed as it can be. So wow. it, uh, they've done very well with it. I'm, I'm not really too sure what their, what their trick is, but they, they've really been good with it. Mm. Um, Brock, I know you do a lot of stuff around Midwestern Ontario, um, my son has been at a couple of pitching clinics that, uh, you've done. Um, is that something, uh, you kind of missed 
uh, in the off season uh, or this year, uh, traveling around to different camps? Yeah, I mean, I always like doing that stuff. Um, I, I do a lot of private lessons out of London where I train. Um, and then, yeah, usually once a winter, I go back to Goddard and Clinton and some other surrounding areas and try to do stuff there. It's just important to me. Like, that's where I grew up, and those are the people that helped me. So I always like to do what I can to kind of give back. And I enjoy it, too. It, it's uh, working with kids and helping younger kids develop and get to hopefully where I'm at. That would be uh, a really cool thing to see, um, that kind of future generation following those footsteps, especially for baseball where it's not – necessarily the most popular thing in in Huron County and the rest of Ontario to to show kids that love baseball that hey it is a possibility and you can do it um I, I just think it's really important hey Brock uh just for our radio listeners we record this show via Skype and I, I must say that I, I love your hat and I gotta ask you, you think, go oh my there. god yeah, you go. gotta go there <laughs> this guy this, is it's insufferable an every week so I'm a big Leaf fan as well do you think they've done enough to uh, get over the hurdle? Man, every year I want to say yes, and then they, they never get over the hurdle. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a struggling struggling Leafs fan, just like the rest of them. Yeah. Um, I, I think the toughness they added this year has to help. Yeah. Um, I know they've said it for years that uh, that they're too soft to play against, and I, I think I agree with it. So hopefully, um, hope it's an adjustment that I think had to be made. So I hope hope it works. So do I. I. I hope so too. Yeah, Clarky. It's so funny that Clarky beat me to asking him about it. Because <laughs> I was gonna ask Brock. Hey, I see your Leafs hat. Clarky will probably say something. Um, <laughs> that's unreal. Um, Brock, I, I, I wanted to ask you. Like, I've, I've always been super interested in it. I mean, I've always watched baseball, but like this year, I actually became like a real fan. I was never a huge baseball fan. I liked watching it, but I was never a big fan. I got really into it this year of all years watching a shortened season, but pitching is that one position that's always super interesting to me. And you were kind of talking about it just with getting comfortable with your splitter this year. That's what fascinates me a lot about pitchers, like deciding what pitches to add to your repertoire, what pitches to drop. Um, What goes into the thought process of deciding I want to add pitch X to my repertoire and, and the amount of work that goes into adding that into your rotation. Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of a give and take. Cause like I said, I, I came up when I was a high school college guy, I was only fastball changeup. Um, and then I kind of developed a breaking ball off of that. And now time's gone past and I've kind of lost my changeup. So it's then moving on from that and finding the splitter. Um, before it used to all be feel and kind of judging what hitters are doing against you. If you throw a lot of changeups and now they're hitting it all, then yeah, there's obviously an adjustment that needs needs to be made, but it's really baseball over the last five years has taken a huge turn with uh, technology. There's a lot of teams that use it a lot and there's some that don't. Um, I came up with Houston and it was all technology, everything you could think of. Um, So they have technology, like you throw your pitches in a bullpen and it spits out data of this pitch is going to be effective this amount in this location. And if that amount is very small and that location is very small, it's probably not a very good pitch. So you're going to want to, adjust and move on to something else um so that helps a lot kind of it takes out the human error or the human like sight of man i think this pitch is good but it's really not playing well um it can kind of take out some of that time where it's like okay it's maybe it's not a good pitch i can just scrap it and move on or hey even though this pitch is getting hit it is still a good pitch and if i keep throwing it it's gonna it's gonna be successful at some point um so a lot of it now is technology and going through that um, that's helped me a lot with um, my curveball and my splitter now because of 
them being new. The slider I've always thrown, and it's always been an effective pitch, so I've kind of just left it as it is. Um, but yeah, and then trying to learn a new pitch, you kind of get some basics um, from a pitching coach or from a teammate off the hop. Um, luckily, the splitter is a very popular pitch in Korea and Asia and Taiwan. Um, so there's a lot of guys on my team that threw one and had a really good one. So I tried to pick their brains on uh, grip. But at the end of the day, grip's not really too important. It's more kind of wrist position and how you get through the ball. Um, so just trying to learn, like, what do they think? How are they trying to throw it? Where are they trying to throw it? Um, trying to pick pointers like that. And then you just got to play catch. And then it's just hours of throwing it to try to find it. Um, getting comfortable, just starting on flat ground, throwing it there. Once you're comfortable there, you can move it over to the mound. And it's amazing how different a pitch, one pitch will play from flat ground to standing on a mound and throwing on a downhill angle. It, it can make one pitch completely different. You're throwing it the exact same, and just that angle you're throwing it at will completely change it. So then trying to fine-tune once you get on the mound, it's all just feel and trying to get advice from guys that have a good slider, splitter, whatever you're trying to throw. Yeah, I, I noticed you're six eight. That must be an advantage too. Um, is there one pitch that you think because you're that height that maybe you have a, a an advantage over a hitter because you're that tall? Yeah, I've back to the technology part. Like my fastball has always played really well for me, and I don't throw overly hard. I'm kind of low nineties, high eighties, low nineties. But okay. my fastball for some reason has always beat guys. Like they'll swing mm. at it like it's ninety five. And I, I've never really known why technology eventually when I was with Houston showed me why it was such a good pitch. Um, and then it's stayed that way now. And I think a big part of it is my height. It's kind of coming from a different angle mm -hmm. and guys are used to seeing it at. Um, and then with that, I also throw from a pretty high arm slot so I can stay without getting too scientific. I can stay behind the ball and it creates a better backspin. Mm. So my ball, when it comes in really holds that line, like a strong, Whereas the average fastball kind of comes in and it'll tail off just a little bit. And hitters' eyes get trained to see that little bit of tail because they're anticipating where it's going to be, right? You can't, yeah. as much as they say head on the ball, head on the ball, you're not going to see the ball right to the bat. There's some anticipation. And my fastball, because of my height and where I'm releasing it from, it just doesn't have that little tail at the end. It really stays true and, mm. and beats guys. And that technology kind of proved that to me. And then watching video really just uh, emphasized that, that, my height definitely helps there just coming from a different angle and then having a little bit different spin, just enough to throw off hitters. Were you able to watch the uh, world series at all or baseball playoffs at all over here? And what did you think of the Dodgers win? Yeah. Um, I, I watched every game. The okay. MLB is huge over there. They they're fans of it. Just like we are um, Dodgers win. I mean, they were due at some point. They're too good of a team to, to go five years. I think it was without a championship being so close and not winning their, uh, their depth was unbelievable. I've still got a lot of friends, um, with the Astros and then with other teams as well. With I had a couple guys on the Rays um, that I'm still buddies with from my time with the Astros. Obviously, guys move around as your careers move on. So I, I know probably a guy on every team, more or less. Um, mm. But, it, yeah, so it just keeps you interesting, uh, interested watching the playoffs. But, yeah, the Dodgers, yeah. I think, were just too much to handle this year, and, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon either. You, you no, they're not. You you weren't banging on garbage cans, were you? That, no, that was, no. Oh, okay, good. Okay. No. <laughs> good <laughs> Lord, Clarky. That, thank you very much. Um, no, I, I wanted to ask you quickly as well, Brock, just uh, MLB released the uh, the MVPs today. Uh, luckily, they decided this time not to do it uh, during an election. Uh, so they announced these award winners not during an election, which is great. Freddie Freeman, obviously, with Atlanta is the NL MVP. And Jose Abreu, uh, the AL MVP. Do you agree with the choices? 
Freddie Freeman, I agree with big time. That, he had an incredible year. Um, Jose Abreu, I mean, he's a great player. There's, I, I don't think it's a wrong answer. There's, there's so many good guys that you can choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, could you have gone another way for sure? But I think Freddie Freeman in the uh, in the NL was, I guess, besides maybe Mookie Betts, I think that was the only the only two guys that I would have really considered. So, obviously, anybody that's even in that conversation is a great ball player. So. Um, it's hard to really, uh, really choose from those guys. Oh, for sure. I, I thought a, I, I was leaning hard for Shane Bieber to win it. He was, he had such an unbelievable pitching season and he, he would have got my vote if I had one, but I don't, uh, yeah. really quick as well, Brock, just, uh, who's your favorite pitcher? Like, did you have a guy growing up that you really wanted to model your style after? Yeah. I mean, growing up here, I was a huge Roy holiday fan. Hard yeah, not absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, I, I tried to model my game after him a little bit more, more mentally and approach-wise than anything. I don't really throw the same as him. He's a little lower slot, but just his uh, consistency and his professionalism, like always learning. I think one of the, the coolest stories of him is he made it to the big leagues as a certain pitcher and then got hit around and had to go all the way back down to A-ball and mm-hmm. completely revamp his, his career. For a guy that ended up now uh, being one of the best of all time, I think that's just a tribute to his work ethic and, and what he did and, um, I, I just really tried to model that kind of mentality to my game more than anything. Um, but yeah, I, too, it was too bad because actually in 2016, after the 15 Pan Am games, our whole team got inducted into the Canadian Hall of Fame, mm. Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and Roy Holiday was inducted that same day. Mm. But it was in July, and I was in the middle mid-season, so I wasn't able to attend. That would have been uh, really neat. Um, yeah. Obviously, now with, with him passing and that not being an option mm-hmm. anymore, but... Uh, no, that would have been uh, really cool. But even just to be inducted in the Hall of Fame beside him is uh, is pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. Hey, hey Drury, yeah. Drury, we gotta keep we gotta keep uh, Brock on our speed dial here for top baseball talk if he's willing. He got a great voice. Absolutely. Obviously knows the game. It'd be great to <laughs> yeah. have him on occasionally. Yeah, sure. a million percent. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. You're Perfect. a future broadcaster. You got a great yeah. voice. Like, like great you said, voice. I, I, I agree. I appreciate it. about that, guys. I, I, I think he has a little bit of broadcasting in him because years ago, his dad was my color commentator on Cherry yeah. Buckline's OHA hockey when we did a game in Goderich. How about really? that? I, I didn't even know that. Yeah. There you go. He, uh, he was uh, with the um, – because your brother played with, at the time, the Goderich Sailors. Okay. So that would have been way back. That was way back. It was one of the first years that we started, and uh, we needed a color commentator fill in, and your dad filled in. He did a great job. So you probably you know. Well, he, he, likes, he likes to talk, so that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Make sure he hears this. Uh, yeah. No, Brock, yeah. I think we've got a new baseball analyst on speed dial for sure. We appreciate you doing this Uh, again. Congratulations on winning the Taiwanese championship with the uni president lions. Great accomplishment. You did a great job. And I know you mentioned to us just before we hit record here that uh, you're getting married soon, man. So congratulations. Uh, A lot of exciting things happening for you, man. Congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was uh, great talking to you guys and yeah, hopefully we can do it again. And go Leafs go. good for you Clarky. good for you all right we'll take one last break here on mwo sports brought to you by coolbet.co when we come back our wagering expert chris abbott from coolbet stick with us this is mwo sports Back to wrap things up here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co, Ryan Drury, Clarkie, and Steve Sabrin along for the ride. And 
We are joined, as always, at the end of the show by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. Abby, how you doing? I'm good, fellas. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing well, brother. Uh, obviously, we're heading into week 10. It's getting into crunch time in the NFL. There's three games that have really caught my eye here. Let's start with the Miami Dolphins and the LA Chargers, two teams that have exciting young offenses. Obviously, they've got a ways to go in terms of putting their overall teams together, but an exciting future, it looks like, for both teams. This is an interesting one, and it's tough for me to call. What do you like here? Uh, this is one of a couple of games that I bet like as soon as the line came out, the Dolphins were two and a half point favorites. Now, I thought the public was going to be heavy on Miami, but we've actually seen it come back the other way now where they're just a one and a half point favorite. Um, for me, the, the, the big thing is you always fade Anthony Lynn every time you get a chance. Like If you're at the crafts table and one person keeps rolling that number, you don't change him. And that's the way I look at Anthony Lynn. So anytime I get a chance to bet against him, I will, because he generally makes a decision that costs his team three to seven points a game. Uh, the other side of it is Miami is just underrated. They've been really good this season. Their defense has been outstanding. They've gotten timely play now from both quarterbacks. Uh, they proved last week they could do it without Miles Gaskin. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I like Miami in this one, and I don't understand the love for the Chargers. I agree with you. Uh, it's two a time down in Florida, and he looks primed for a, a breakout here. Let's look at Buffalo coming off of a smashing of Dangerous and the Seahawks. They are in Arizona to take on Kyler Murray, who's having an unbelievably good season. Who do you like here? I'm kind of leaning Buffalo, but Arizona, they're a scary team. Yeah, I am too. The spread on this one, uh, I think, was a little higher. Money's come in on Buffalo. We're looking at about two and a half home favorite for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. And I agree with you, uh, Ryan, like this game with both of these teams, I find them to be inconsistent uh, when it comes from a betting uh, point of view. And I guess win loss as well. Like Buffalo can look like they did last week and embarrass, uh, you know, Seattle, or, you know, they can look uh, like they looked a couple of weeks before that very, very regular. So going on the road. Um, so that that's against the bills there, but Arizona has been much the same. They've been, uh, they've been inconsistent. And I think Buffalo, defense has been better than Arizona's defense and the offenses are probably about the same so with that said I don't hate a Buffalo pick either on the spread or on the money line here all right I will take the bills for sure my instincts feel right uh let's talk about Pittsburgh Cincy a divisional matchup that Pittsburgh has absolutely owned uh over the course of it Big Ben Will he play? It's likely that he will, but he's on that COVID list. And Joe Burrow has been excellent as a rookie. Could Joey Burrow lead the Bengals to an unprecedented upset of an undefeated team? I think when people start talking about the Steelers as an undefeated team, that the, the two games against the Bengals are dangerous for them. Uh, coming off kind of a high leverage game last week, now you've got the Roethlisberger. Uh, it, it looks like he's going to play as long as he gets two more tests that are fine. But just that distraction, him not practicing during the week, and uh, the fact that Cincinnati is a seven-point underdog, I think uh, I, I feel like it's going to be closer than that. I know everything points to Pittsburgh winning, and that's why they are a favorite. But I think uh, this could be a potential letdown spot for them. We can we've seen that Cincinnati is fired up for it this week. Um, uh, yeah, they're coming off the bye. I, I can get. I'm trying to convince myself to bet Cincinnati in this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the same way. Clarky, I know you have a question about the Masters. Well, uh, Chris seems like he's in a little bit of a mellow mood today, so I wanted to change it to a little golf mellow. 
can you tell us, like, has there been a lot of action on the Masters? Like, it's the only major sport really happening besides the NFL. But did you see an increase? Like, has it been pretty wild, Chris? Yeah, people are clamoring for it, actually. Um, a lot of people were interested in Bryson DeChambeau. And, of course, he didn't have a great start to the tournament, as we know. So it be interesting to see how what, what bets on him look like going into the weekend. But, yeah, Clarky, this is something where there's a little bit of a lull in the schedule right now. And mm-hmm. it's been a really good time betting-wise. People are, people are in on it, and they bet. Not only do they bet, you know, before the tournament, they bet during the rounds, in between the rounds. So mm-hmm. it's like tennis really lends itself to people placing multiple bets and getting really invested both uh, financially and emotionally uh, on a tournament like that on a big weekend like this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's always fun to lay down some heat on some sports, especially something like the Masters in the NFL. I love it. Our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from Cool Bet. We appreciate this, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Hey, yeah, love it, guys. I look forward to it every week. Uh, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. So do we and the listeners and viewers. And speaking of the listeners and viewers, you can listen to this show every Friday at 6, live on CKNX AM 920 and CKNX.ca. You can, of course, find the podcast on all the best podcast apps and on CKNX.ca. And SoundCloud, you can watch the show Friday nights at 8, Sunday nights at 9 with our friends on Whiteman TV. For myself, Ryan Drury, Clarkie, and Steve Saverin, and our friend Chris Abbott. Uh, from all of us here at MWO Sports, thanks for listening and watching. Brought to you as always, remember, by CoolBet.co.